please open your Bibles now to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. If you're new to Manoa Community Church, we've been going verse by verse through the book of Hebrews chapter 11 uh, to look at the hall of faith. And April said very well, all these great men of faith, but there are ladies in there as well. Sarah's coming up next week. There's Rahab. So these men and women, these elders of old and uh, the people of God throughout the ages and the hall of faith and what we can learn from their faith so that we could grow in our faith as well. It's also allowing us to sweep through the Old Testament at a fast pace and kind of look at these key characters and not only what they did, but how they operated in faith. So again, that we could imitate their faith. So we've looked at uh, Noah last week. Well, today we're looking at Abraham. Now, Abraham is very famous in the world. Three world religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, all look back to him as the founder of their monotheistic convictions and beliefs. And so his faith is truly contagious. I mean, a lot over the majority of the world looks to Abraham and says, that's where this all got started for us. Now, as Christians, we believe that the word of God received from the Israelites is the true word of God. But nonetheless, it's insightful to realize that Abraham's faith and where he lived, I mean, is still contested to this day. Whose is what land and what properties and all that stuff. But we all look back to Abraham and say, his faith is contagious. His faith matters and his faith lives on in the world today. Amen. And as April said, through faith in Christ, not only physical descendants of Abraham, but spiritual descendants of Abraham through faith in the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ, we are grafted in to the people of God, the Israelites. We are part of the church of God. Amen. And so today we're going to look at Abraham, then we'll flip over to Sarah. We'll actually go back to Abraham because he comes up multiple times. He's such a critical character in our Bibles. He's the, when we worship God, he's often described as the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, those three patriarchs. And so here we are looking at Abraham's life where God called him to leave his homeland, to leave his kindred, and to go to a place that God would show him. We're picking things up. We're just reading verses 8, 9, and 10. I'll preach through those today. But also I'm going to just pull in verses 1 and 2 as our pattern is to define faith and then jump over to verse 8. So have your Bibles open. Please follow along, starting in verse 1, and then we'll drop into verses 8, 9, and 10 for today's sermon. Verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old, the elders of old, receive their commendation. Verse 8. For by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God obedient faith. Let's pray. Well, Father God, we thank you for the obedient faith of Father Abraham. We thank you that his faith still lives on in the lives of 
all those in this room who are in Christ Jesus. We thank you that the promise is made to him not only to bless him, but to be a blessing to all the nations, that in him all the nations would be blessed. And Lord, we who are non-ethnically Jews, as well as those who are ethnically Jews, are now united in Jesus, in the Messiah, in this room, worshiping the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Because this man left paganism and left polytheism and left idolatry in search of the one true God. And so God, we pray that his faith would cause us to leave whatever is idolatrous in our own life to go into a future that we don't know, but a future where we find you and walk with you as a friend of God like Abraham. Give us that same obedient faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you open into the New Testament, there is a collision course between this new covenant movement, this messianic movement of Jesus, starting with John the Baptist and the ethnic Israelites. John the Baptist is out in the wilderness challenging the Israelites to basically get uh, converted again through the waters of baptism, even though they were already circumcised. And Jesus, in John chapter 8, is talking about how God is his father and he knows the truth because God the father speaks to him and they they hear all this father language and they're like well our father is Abraham I don't know what father you're talking about and they start to duke it out on the issue of fatherhood and Jesus says listen if Abraham was your father you would be doing the works that Abraham did but you're not So you cannot claim Abraham as your father unless you have the same faith as Abraham, unless you do the works that Abraham did, unless you obey like Abraham obeys. You are not, you are disqualified. John the Baptist says, the ax is laid to the roots, right? And God is ready to chop you off and fold in others into the children of Abraham. And the New Testament is really a story of how all these Gentiles, these non-Israelites who most of us are in this room, all of a sudden become to believe in the hope of Israel, right? The, The people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are now composed of all the nations, which is exactly the promise given to Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. All the promises of God are fulfilled in Jesus. And we become children of Abraham through obedient faith like the faith of Abraham. But what does obedient faith look like in the life of Abraham? Again, Hebrews chapter 11 is going to get to define that for us this morning because Abraham's story is long in the book of Genesis as it should be. It's laying the foundation of our faith. Yet, the scope of the author of Hebrews scopes in on Three things, again, (laughs) I typically have three points. Now, we will circle back to Abraham and the land at a latter point, or excuse me, the children at a latter point. But today, he's talking about this land and Abraham leaving his home. And so let's look at the faith of Abraham this morning out of Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll pull in some of Genesis as well and say, what does it look like for us to have obedient faith? And I use the language of begetting in my points, Abraham. Uh, obedient faith begets. This is what it gives birth to because begetting is the language of our Bibles. Abraham begot so-and-so and Jesus is God's only begotten son. It gives birth to things. It produces things. And so here we're gonna see what obedient faith produces through the life of Abraham. The first thing we're going to notice about Abraham starting in verse eight is obedient faith begets going 
not knowing. Obedient faith begets going, not knowing. The author of Hebrews says of Abraham, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Say, what is obedient faith? Abraham believed God. God spoke to Abraham. He said, leave your family, leave your kindred, leave your home to a place that I will show you. What? I'm gonna sell my house. I'm gonna leave everybody I know and all that I know, the place that my ancestors and my children are, or that I was raised at, and I'm just gonna go. Yep, get your camels, get your tents, get your servants, get your family, Go, I will show you. Yes, Lord, I will go. He's going, not knowing. That's faith. Now, it's interesting because faith at the outset in verse one is the assurance of things, hope for the conviction of things not seen, right? We, we walk by faith and not by sight. And Abraham models this amazingly by going without knowing. He left Earl of the Chaldeans, which is modern day Iraq. The daily Bible study, it's a little lengthy, but I want to read some of the oral traditions that are outside of our Bible because not only does Judaism have extra biblical stories, but also all these different faiths that look to him because he's from that area are telling stories. And I think some of these are pretty plausible, but they kind of illustrate the faith of Abraham to leave paganism, leave polytheism, leave idolatry behind. It says, in the Old Testament, the call of Abraham is told with dramatic simplicity in Genesis chapter 12, 1. Well, the Jewish and Eastern legends and narratives gathered largely around Abraham's name, some of them must have been known to the writers of Hebrews, and they still add more vividness to the story. The legends tell how Abraham was the son of Terah, who was the commander of the armies of Nimrod. When Abraham was born, a very vivid star appeared in the sky and seemed to obliterate the other stars. Nimrod sought to murder the infant Abraham, but Abraham was concealed in a cave and his life was saved. The story tells how it was that cave the first vision of God came to Abraham. When he was a youth, he came out of the cave and stood, stood looking across the face of the desert. The sun rose in all its glory and Abraham said, surely the sun is God, the creator. So he knelt down and worshiped the sun. But when the evening came, the sun sank in the west and Abraham said, no. The author of creation cannot set. So the moon arose in the east and the stars came out and Abraham said, the moon must indeed be God and the suns are his host. So he knelt down and adored the moon. But after the night was passed, the moon sank and the sun rose again. Then Abraham said, truly these heavenly bodies are no gods for they obey law. I will worship him who imposed the law upon them. The Arabs have a different legend. They tell how Abraham saw many flocks and herds and said to his mother, who is the Lord of these? And she answered, well, your father, Terah. Who is the Lord of Terah? Sounds like our kids, right? The lad asked, Abraham asked. Nimrod, said his mother. Who is the Lord of Nimrod? Asked Abraham. His mother bade him be quiet and not push questions too far. But already Abraham's thoughts were reaching out to God, the God who is the God of all. The story goes on to tell that Terah, Abraham's father, not only worshipped 12 idols, one for each month, but that he was also a manufacturer of idols. One day, Abraham was left in charge of the shop and people would come in to buy idols. Abraham would ask them how old they were. They would answer perhaps 50 or 60 years of age. Woe to a man of such an age, said Abraham, who adores the work of one day. 
a strong and hale man of 70 came in to buy an idol. And Abraham asked him his age and then said, you fool to adore a God who's younger than yourself. A woman came in with a dish of meat for the gods. And Abraham took a stick, smashed all the idols but one in, whom, in whose hand he set the stick he had used. See that? He put the stick in the one idol's hand. Terah returned and was angry. And Abraham said, my father, a woman brought this dish of meat for your gods. They all wanted to have it. And the strongest knocked the heads off the rest, lest they should eat all of it. Terah said, that's impossible, for they're made of wood and stone. And Abraham answered, let thine own ears hear what thine own mouth has spoken. All these stories give us a vivid picture of Abraham searching after God and dissatisfied with the idolatry of his people. So when God's call came to Abraham, he was ready to go out into the unknowns to find faith. Abraham is the supreme example of faith. Now, when I read those stories, I thought those are powerful because once we see in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, and we can't vest them with the same authority as Scripture, amen. Those are just other stories that come to us, but they do depict what is Abraham leaving? They certainly are congruent. They align with what we see, which is people start to worship false gods and there's idolatry in the land and God speaks to him and says, you gotta leave that. You gotta leave the world. You gotta leave your family. You gotta leave all of this behind because I'm not only gonna bless you, but I'm gonna bless all the world through you, but you gotta leave this out of it. Go on a search, wandering the wilderness, looking after me and my plan for your life and for the entire world. Now, I think about that, and I think about the adventure of faith. I mean, think about this. You say, well, that was way back then, but what about now? God calls us to go, to go without knowing to go into the unknown. And really the story of the Bible is a story of going without knowing. Even the church, you think about, well, what is the church? The church are the called out ones. That's what the Greek word means. Kaleo, the call of God. We're called out of the world. Certainly we're called together to worship God, but we're also called to be a going people. We are called to go and follow God wherever he leads us. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus commissions the church. He says, go, go and make disciples of all nations, right? Fulfilling the promises to Abraham. We are to go. Where are you to go? I don't know. I don't know, and maybe you don't either, but the point of faith is you're listening for the voice of God. You're listening for the Holy Spirit, and you are willing to go even when you don't have it all figured out. Going without knowing. Many of you know the story that in 2011, after the housing bubble puffed and popped in 2008, Buckle up, we might have another one coming. I'm not prophesying. It's just, you see some patterns here. 2008, and all of a sudden, right, things got tight, and I was on staff at a big church, and they couldn't afford all of us. So they had this plan to relocate one of the evangelistic pastors to another region that happened to be yours truly. And so they said, we don't have a job for you here anymore, Stefan, but we would like to hunt for another church that might be willing to call you. They searched their whole denomination. I was part of a different denomination at the time, and there was one church out of like 150 <laughs> that had faith. I said, I think that's the Lord, right? And so my wife and I relocated to South Florida, Fort Lauderdale for seven and a half years. We didn't have that number in mind. We didn't know what God was doing. We just went going without knowing. We had bought a house 
A year prior, we sold our house. We just had a baby. We were expecting one on the way. Owen was a few weeks old when we went down to South Florida. My wife took a train with my mom and she was nursing Owen in the train. I mean, it was hard to just relocate and uproot and get ourselves in this new place. And the adventure of South Florida is beyond the scope of this message other than to say God was totally in it and in a million years... I would have never imagined Fort Lauderdale being my home. I had to literally Google Fort Lauderdale to figure out where it was on a map. I saw the palm trees. I said, this could work, right? There's worse assignments, right? But we also felt the tug of God to come back, and come back to which we didn't know, Manoa. And in a million years, I could have never crafted Havertown. I didn't have that. I mean, this was a needle in a haystack for us because we longed to be back in this area, but we didn't know how the Lord was going to do that. Manoa was an answer to prayer. But I'll tell you, when we came back, we were still going without knowing. We had to join a denomination I had never heard of, the EPC. I said, that's what y'all are part of? Let me explore it. I'm, all right, let's try it, right? And so we jumped in going without knowing. And I think each one of you, your faith, look at your lives. Do you have to have it all figured out? You know, there was a time where I literally thought I knew what the future would look like. Like the church I worked at, I'd grow old, my kids would marry the other kids. Like I just literally thought I saw it. And then I kind of said, I guess South Florida is it. My wife has cautioned me now. Now we intend to stay at Manoa. I'm not trying to prophesy that I'm leaving or anything. But, but she has this. She says, I don't know anymore, Stefan, and I'm okay with that. I thought that's such a good, because I'm the planner. Like, I get plans, and then I'm not flexible. Like, I just dig into my plan. She said, let God be God. Follow him. Because we've all been given, by the way, a script from the American dream, haven't we? You know, pay off your home before you're retired. Have enough money to live off of so you can stop working. You know, get this much money for kids' college, yada, yada, yada. Like, we know what we're supposed to do in the American dream, but what if the American dream is not God's dream for your life? Ron just experienced this with his son, where his son and his daughter-in-law are now going to Africa to do missions in Africa. Ron's not sure whether to be happy or sad, but I'll tell you what, that's a beautiful thing. What if our children that we baptize and dedicate to the Lord go further than we did? Would you rejoice over that, mom and dad? Going without knowing. Because God's plan for our lives is so much better than our plan for our lives. And Abraham models that. Going without knowing. Are you willing? Is your faith an adventure? Or is your faith clocking in for 90 minutes a week at best? If you could squeeze it in, come on. 24-7, we are on mission for Jesus. And if you're not excited about that, I want to wake you up. We are all missionaries for Jesus, not only the pastors and elders. What is God's mission for your life? Let's go without knowing. And I will celebrate. I will celebrate if it includes leaving this church one day. Not because I want to kick anybody out, but because I believe God's plan for the world is bigger than Manoa Community Church, our denomination, Havertown. And if we are a ground to deploy people going without knowing to the nations in this as a pastor, I will rejoice because that's what obedient faith looks like. Obedient faith includes going without knowing. 
Amen? Secondly, obedient faith begets not only going, not knowing. Obedient faith begets living as strangers. <laughs> living as strangers. Verse 9. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land. Living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Obedient faith begets living as strangers. Notice here that the land of promise he's living in as is in a foreign land. Now you should first say, wait a minute, the land that God promised to give to him? He is a foreigner in his promised land? That's exactly right. In fact, verse 13 it talks about all these patriarchs dying in faith. See that? Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged them, they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Obedient faith begets living as strangers, as exiles, as wanderers, as nomads, as aliens, as sojourners. Are all these words queuing up in your mind? These are biblical words for what it means to follow God. And Abraham has this nomadic faith. He has a home. He lived in Ur. He had a house. He had brick and mortar. However they built their homes back then, he left it all for tents, wandering through the land of promise as a foreigner in the land that God had promised him. It's telling, and I, I had April read the end of Genesis where Sarah dies, because here's the reality of Abraham's life. God promises lots of things to Abraham. Thank you, April, but two big ones, right? You ready? Offspring, lots of children, as many as the stars, and land. And by the time most of his life wandering in the land of promise, he has no land and no children, right? They are so old before Isaac is born. In fact, they have an Ishmael because they tried to do it according to the flesh through another means. And God says, that's not how this promise is fulfilled. It's going to be a miracle. It's not going to be according to the flesh. There's a lot of that'll preach, but that's a different sermon, right? But they're strangers in the land of promise. They don't have any dirt or real estate to call their own in that land until the very end of Sarah's life. Here's the only plot of land they own in the promised land. You ready? The cave to bury their dead. By the time Sarah dies, he purchases the first little parcel of land in the promised land, and it is their graveyard. God promised him land. God promised him children. And in his lifespan, he has a graveyard and one child, as many as the stars. And then his eyes shut in death as this thing is just getting started. Now remember, the author of Hebrews wants to remind us that faith is going without knowing and walking by faith, not by sight. We don't see it yet. And that's where Abraham's faith really does model this, because this is what we got. We got the benefit of the New Testament. We got the benefit of the rest of the Old Testament. We see the millions and billions of them multiplying in Egypt. Like we see all that. Abraham dies before he sees any of it. And yet he walked by faith into this. And let's be real for a minute, right? 
you might be tempted after decades of living in a tent saying, I'm not sure how well this is going. I'm not sure I heard from God. In fact, God had to take him out to show him the stars or remind him I'm not done with this promise because Abraham's thinking, I think this is all going to have to go to one of my servants and they're going to have to continue on this project of faith because it's not happening between me and Sarah. God has to come alongside and say, no, Abraham, this will happen. Hang on, you're not done yet. But isn't that amazing to realize that the land of promise that Abraham walked into He was a stranger, a sojourner, a wanderer his entire life, living in tents. And that becomes an allegory or a metaphor for the entire church throughout the whole Bible and for the entire church in our lives today. Because the Israelites are in captivity in Egypt, they are... They are sojourners in that area. They're still not in the land of promise. Then they go out into the wilderness, 40 years following Moses, living in tents, where the church itself, the cathedral, is a tabernacle, a tent. And they are wandering, wandering, wandering. They finally get into the promised land. Then they're exiles in Babylon, wandering, wandering, wandering. They're back in their land again, but the The Romans have occupied them and they're just sojourners. They're wandering, 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 kicked out of their own land. And we as Christians, we are wanderers. We are sojourners that the life of faith says, this is not my final home. This is not my final destination. Are you living as a stranger in this land? It's not to say we're not good citizens. It's not to say we don't vote. It's not to say, okay, all the qualifications. It's not to say that we don't pray your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. But if you have an over-realized eschatology, what I mean by that is that somehow the kingdom of God will be perfected on this side of heaven, may I caution you, you were up for a rude awakening when kingdoms collapse. Kingdoms collapse on this side of eternity. The only kingdom is the eternal kingdom of God reserved for us in heaven. And I I would say this about Jesus himself. Jesus modeled this. He left heaven. (laughs) He came to an earth that he created, and yet he really couldn't call it home, could he? In fact, the very people who who he created didn't recognize him and rejected him as their king. And so we join King Jesus As we walk in the wilderness, we join King Jesus without a final destination on this side, that living obediently to God includes living as strangers, living as wanderers, living as sojourners in this world. Amen? Which leads to our third and most hopeful point. The reason that we are not resident aliens of this place is because like Abraham, our obedient faith begets anticipating heaven. Anticipating heaven, this is where the author of Hebrews goes in verse 10, it says, for he, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, Abraham wandered, living in a tent, living as a sojourner, living as an alien in the land of promise, living as a foreigner, because he was looking forward to something. He was looking forward to a city, the city of God, 
the city built by God, who's designed by God, who's architect, the very foundation is crafted by God, that everything in this world points beyond this world to a final hope. Because your longing for home is not an evil longing. But it will be misplaced if you place it here. Things are getting a little bumpy in America right now, aren't they? If your final hope is that America is the city on a hill, you're going to be sorely disappointed because the city on a hill is the church and the kingdom of God and we should never conflate the two, amen? Never conflate the two. And these are not new problems for us as believers. Augustine, who was one of the leaders in Rome, the whole Roman Empire started to take down their paganism and put up churches and steeples and crosses and it was becoming Christianized. So here comes the kingdom, the Roman Catholic Church. We've got this. We fused the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man and all of a sudden outside forces start coming in. They're saying, what is happening? The kingdom is collapsing. I recommend you go read City of God because it's him wrestling with these very same things and saying, we should never combine the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God inseparably. They are separate. And as this kingdom collapses, it makes us long for the kingdom of God, the eternal kingdom that can never, ever be shaken. Amen? This life has some great joys and some terrible sorrows in it. The Puritans would say that this life is like the razor edge into eternity. And for the believer, this is the closest to hell that you will ever get. And for the unbeliever, this is the closest to heaven that you will ever see. I think that maps on to our experience on this side of eternity, amen? Great joys, great vistas, great mountains, great cities yet fallen and corrupt, darkened and evil, and all of these things living in the same world. And yes, the kingdom of God breaks into this present evil reality through the church of Jesus Christ and through the people of God. But it also, we are wanderers and sojourners as we realize our citizenship is never the United States of America ultimately or Africa, or any other nation state. Our citizenship is secure in heaven, and we are ambassadors for Christ. We are representing that kingdom in this place, in Havertown, and that kingdom can never be shaken. Amen? That is your citizenship, brothers and sisters, and that is the inheritance that Abraham gives to us as we watch his wandering life. But we have a gift Abraham never had. We have the one who came from heaven to earth and said, I have come to reveal heaven to you that this is not just wishful thinking. I have come here and I go to prepare a place for you so that when you get there, there are many mansions, many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you that. John chapter 14, check it out. And so you know the most reliable source in the world, Jesus Christ has spoken and said, this kingdom is real. I go to prepare a place for you. And when I come back, I will take you to that place where I am. That kingdom will never fail. Amen? Amen. <sighs> Obedient faith 
It begets knowing, excuse me, going, not knowing. Living as strangers and anticipating heaven. The book of Revelation shows us our final destination. A new land, a promise. A new earth, a perfected Jerusalem. The city of God and a new heaven. You've been created for a person and you've been created for a place. That person is Jesus Christ and that place is heaven. Obedient faith believes that. Obedient faith walks going without knowing until you get to that final destination. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. I have one final story to close out today's sermon, and then we'll worship God with praise before we dismiss with the benediction. I said at the outset that there was quite a division as John the Baptist and Jesus emerged. (laughs) And the rebuke of John the Baptist to the religious ethnic Israelites was this. He said, Don't comfort yourself saying, we have Abraham as our father. He says the axe is laid to the root, ready to chop it. And then he has this stinging rebuke, which interestingly actually becomes the greatest words of hope for all of humanity. He says this, God is able to raise up from these rocks, from these stones, children of Abraham. You say, Stephen, how is that encouraging to me? Because if you come here this morning with a stony, rocky heart, listen, you are so much more important to God than a rock. If God can do that miracle, he's speaking in hyperbole here, but listen, the faith of Abraham is not inescapable to you. God is able to make each one of us through faith in Jesus Christ, a son or daughter of Abraham that you can be grafted into Abraham and all the promises of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And before you leave today, if you have not done that yet, the first step of obedience is to repent like John the Baptist called out in the wilderness and turn to Jesus who prepared the way for him that you might become a child of Abraham, a child of obedient faith. Amen?